Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. It's been a rough year. The pandemic, protests over racial justice, job losses, the election. Clara Reynolds has seen the effects of 2020 firsthand. She's CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. Its 211 call center connects people to mental health resources. My colleague Steve Newborn talked to her for an April episode of Florida Matters. And with 2020 coming to an end, we thought it would be a good idea to check back in. We spoke via Zoom. Starting off, Clara, uh, when you spoke with Steve Newborn back in uh, April, um, you know, he asked you if your, if your phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, and uh, you said it was, and I imagine that's that's been true uh, since then, right? As we've continued to kind of go along through this pandemic and the shutdown and job losses and all the rest. Absolutely, yeah. So the calls are still coming in. What is different now than when I talked to Steve back in April is that when we when we talked in April, we were talking about you know, an impending behavioral health tsunami that we knew that the physical uh, toll that the virus was taking was top of mind, but we were starting to hear the inklings from people about the struggles that they were having with their behavioral health, the, the sense of, of anxiety, depression, how isolation is impacting them. And I can say now the tsunami is here and we are hearing these in our calls over and over again. You know, the top need is still, um, you know, true economics, uh, true emotional support. And really that has almost um, overtaken concerns about the physical aspects of the virus. So all of those issues together have really um, basically coalesced in this behavioral health tsunami that we truly feel like we are involved in right now. And some of us don't even realize how much our behaviors may have changed over the past you know, eight or nine months, depending upon how, this, how the situation has impacted you uh, personally or your family. So what are some of the, the, the common sort of issues that you hear? I mean, you mentioned anxiety and depression. Has that changed? Has it evolved as we've moved through this and it's, it's just kind of dragged out? As we've moved through the series of months, we've had a lot of other things that have happened uh, in our community and across the country. You know, you think about the social unrest, you think about the political unrest with the, uh, with the election, um, you think about the weather. I mean, this was an unprecedented hurricane season. Um, and then add the COVID uh, virus, which, you know, we all were hoping that we would be done with by now, quote, and I'm going to use that in, in quotes, quote, unquote, done by now. So you add all of this together and we've, people are, are communicating to us that their bucket is full. They can't handle anything more. And yet more is still coming. We've got the holidays. Uh, we've got traditions that can't actually happen. That is weighing on the minds, particularly with uh, parents of young children or uh, children of older parents. So that's really what we're hearing now is just this overwhelming sense of fatigue and anxiety and underlying depression that life isn't back to where I thought it was going to be by now. Um, and so I don't know what my traditional holidays are going to look like. 
And if, as we think about the, not just the primary losses, I mean, certainly most of us have probably, probably have lost somebody in our lives due to COVID, but there's been so many secondary losses. And by secondary losses, I mean all of those opportunities that weren't able to happen because of the virus, from graduations to weddings, to funerals, to, um, you know, just birthday parties, all of those things. So taken all together, we can all see and all understand how all of these losses are adding up and in a cumulative manner, why people are feeling like their buckets are just filled and they can't handle anything more. So as you say, people's buckets are filled and everybody's kind of at the, at the, at the breaking point, as it were. What do you tell people when they call and, they, and, and, uh, and they're asking for help? Because we're all going through the same thing, right? Right. And when people call and ask us for help, they usually are calling because they are calling for a symptom. And more likely than not, that symptom is economic. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I don't know how I'm going to be able to provide uh, food during the holidays. And it takes our intervention specialists. Those are the people that take those calls. It takes them 15, 20 minutes to just allow people to talk spew all of that, all of that anxiety, all of that worry, all of that concern, and then start doing exactly what you're doing with me, Brad, is, is asking those follow-up questions. Okay, tell me more about this. Tell me more about this to get to where the underlying problems are. And that's really what we're trying to do here at the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay is give people an opportunity to voice their, their concerns to somebody that they don't know that's not going to then voice their concerns back to them. It's just, it's just a person who is there to take all of the stuff that you're unpacking and then be able to provide you with not just concrete help and support, but also, okay, how, what can we do? What can, how can we help you get to a better place? Get to that place where you feel peaceful. Get to that place where you are experiencing some joy. And that has to do with self-care. That has to do with giving people permission to find good things happening right now. Folks are feeling very guilty trying to find any happiness right now. Um, and we hear that over and over again. Oh, I shouldn't be happy. Oh, I shouldn't feel good. No, you need to. You need to remember all of the great things that we have, all the things that we still have to be grateful for, because that is what helps to empty the bucket. So I know you said the, the high call volume has been pretty constant since the start of the pandemic, but have you seen an uptick now that we're in the holiday season? What was very interesting is in the month, the beginning of November was one of our highest call weeks, the first week and the second week in November. We saw some significantly high numbers, uh, particularly for suicide calls. Uh, the election really pushed a lot of people uh, to a, a breaking point where they really felt like they, they were just hopeless and a lot of despair. We've started to see some of those numbers back off. That's not unusual. Um, we certainly do see from, you know, that Thanksgiving time to, to right about after New Year's, you know, we will get individuals that will call us that are, if they're calling us, they are truly in need. It is an urgent crisis for them. It is usually the week or so after January when the holidays haven't turned out the way you thought they would, when the bills start coming in that you don't know how you're going to pay for, that's when we'll start to see this true spike again in call volume. But the calls that we're taking now are higher than normal, um, higher than it would be normally pre-COVID, uh, but they're nothing compared to what we're expecting to come in starting you know, the first, second week in January. So walk me through this. Let's say I'm somebody who's going through a crisis. I pick up the phone and I call 211. What happens then? 
So you call 211, we'll ask you, you know, um, I'll identify myself. Hey, uh, this is Clara. You call 211. What, you know, what can we do for you today? How can we assist you? And then you start talking to me. And oftentimes, again, you're asking for a concrete resource. We're going we're gonna to say, absolutely. You're, you're telling me that you are about to be out of your home. Maybe you need some rent assistance. Tell me about that. What are some other things that you might need? And we allow you that opportunity just to kind of talk through. After we've kind of exhausted it, you feel like you have, you told us everything you need to tell us. We're going to then put together uh, some resources, some supports. Uh, we're going to ask you, do you feel comfortable making those calls? Do you feel like that you've got the help that you need? If you say yes, we're going to encourage you to call us back if you need us. If you say, no, I need a little bit extra help and support, we have a program called Care Coordination that will help you link two services. Um, we can follow you for four to six weeks to make sure you get where you need to go. And there are some folks that, have, that are able to just take the resources. They weren't even aware of them. They're able to make those follow-up phone calls and get connected to service. And there's others that are so overwhelmed. There's so much going on in their lives. They need some extra help and support, and we can provide that as well. So are, are, have you been able with this surge in call volume to connect all of the people who call with the services they need, whether it's financial assistance or, or, or behavioral health assistance? No, I'll be very, I'll be very frank with you. No, we've, um, we've missed some calls. We recognize that we have, uh, we put in a system of waiters where if you call in and you're hitting a busy time, you can leave your phone number and that will keep your place in line. And we will Call, the system will call you back when the next um, intervention specialist is ready. Some folks that works great for other folks, they need it right now, and they've caught us at a at a you know at a surge time. Um, so we we continue to say to folks, if you call and you're not able to get with us, don't don't give up. Call us back. Call two one one again. We will, we promise we're going to get to you as quickly as possible. Uh, but we certainly have resource challenges, just like everybody else in the community has resource challenges during surge times. And I imagine too, you just have some logistics challenges, just with any other business. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you from my couch uh, when normally we'd be talking in a studio face to face. Right. Have you been able? Or have you had to adapt your call center to to a to a work from home reality? Yes, sir. We absolutely had to. And, and what was so interesting, and I've said this before, and many of my colleagues uh, across the behavioral health space have said it too. Our strategic plan had us, you know, going into a remote or a tele, telework environment in five years. We had to do it in five days. And I think that that has been one of the consistent things that we've seen across this behavioral health space is that services that typically have been either in office or face to face, we've had to move it into this tele realm where people are working from home or they're working uh, remotely in other locations. And that has worked okay. One of the things that we've experienced is that um, home typically for our staff is your sanctuary. You know, you can listen to the suicide calls all day. You can listen to people in their, in a crisis all day long, as long as you know that you're leaving your work when you walk out the door and you walk into your home and that's your sanctuary. It's very hard when you're bringing all of that into your sanctuary space. And so we have had staff that say, I can't do this at home. I thought I could, I thought I could do this from my bedroom, 
But when I shut down, I'm not shutting down. So we've had to bring those individuals back into the office. So I would say that one of the things that we're constantly working on is how do we take care of our staff? How do we empty your bucket? How do we make sure that when you finish at the end of the day, you're able to recharge, you're able to rest, you're able to find some peace and take care of yourself because you've got to get back on those phone lines for eight hours the next day. And so that has been a, it's been a learning opportunity for us in this remote environment of trying to make sure that we're providing that, that, that supervision, that support. So we start with supervision at the beginning of shift. We do check-ins every hour. We do supervision at the ends of shifts to make sure that those folks who are home are getting the support that they need so that, again, they can shut down, they can rejuvenate so that they can give all of themselves during, uh, during their work hours. And I imagine for some of the people who call, you know, home's not a safe space. You know, I've heard from folks in the mental health community who say, yeah, teletherapy works great, but for some other folks, it's just not feasible because of their home situation. Right. And we, we provide trauma counseling for uh, individuals in our community. Uh, last, you know, in the past year, we provide over 8,400 uh, therapy visits. Now, we did have to uh, go to remote. We did have to go to use utilizing teletherapy. For many, it was very, very effective. We had a young lady, a 16-year-old, who had been sexually assaulted by a family member. Um, she had just started treatment. Um, COVID hit. We gave her the option. We said, do you, do you want to pause your treatment? She's like, absolutely not. I want to continue to have it. She actually had it in her bedroom where the assault occurred. And for her, it was very therapeutic. So that was a very good situation. We've had others that it is way too close to home. And so we have brought clients back into the office uh, to be able to continue with their therapy because it is too much for them. So we've really been so grateful that the regulators and the funders have allowed us that professional flexibility to be able to provide the service wherever it is best for the client, whether that's in home, whether that's here. And you know, we have a beautiful campus here at our, our Bears location. We have four locations across the community, but we have beautiful picnic tables. And so I'm seeing therapy happening outside. I'm seeing therapists walking with their clients and utilizing that as a therapeutic intervention. Um, so we're trying to be as creative as possible possible uh, to provide that level of help and support, but it really is very individualized. And Bradley, really to your point, there are some clients that can do this work in home and there are others that it's more, it's more detrimental to their behavioral health to do that. So we've been, we've been very great, very grateful and very fortunate to be able to offer both, uh, both types of service. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. And today we're speaking with Clara Reynolds, CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay conversation continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. My guest today is Clara Reynolds, CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. You mentioned funding, and I wonder, I mean, this has been a, a challenging time for all kinds of businesses and nonprofits. Do you have the resources that you need to, to meet the surge in demand? Uh, no, I mean, that, let's just, we'll just be honest. I mean, none of us have enough resources. I have to say, though, and give kudos, um, both at the state and at the county level. I mean, our county has been unbelievably generous with our nonprofit organizations. Uh, CARES Act dollars have been a life send for many of us in the behavioral health space, as it has in many industries across our community. I think one of the things that we're worried about is there's a lot of talk about a vaccine right now, and we know that the vaccine is coming and it's coming quickly. 
that's not going to stop the behavioral health tsunami. You can't just give a shot and everybody is suddenly behaviorally okay. This is something that's going to last for months and years to come. And there's not going to be CARES dollars behind that. And there's not going to be the funding behind that. So for all of us in this behavioral health space, working with our legislative delegations, working with the regulators to help them understand that the emergency orders allowed us to be able to be really flexible and very creative. We have to be able to continue with that flexibility and that creativity after the vaccine is here, after we've got this thing called quote unquote herd immunity or whatever that looks like. I know with some provisions in the CARES Act, the funding expires uh, at the end of this month. Is that is that true for the, the dollars that uh, that uh, you've been provided through the CARES Act? Yeah, so we've got a quilting of those dollars. So we do have some dollars that expire December 31st. We have some that are through Mar- end of March, some that are through the end of April. Um, but once those dollars are gone, you know, we've hired people with those dollars, again, to meet the surge in demand. So that's where things are going to get really creative. And, you know, Bradley, back to your original question, that's when additional dollars are going to be needed because to take, you know, the, the people that we've been able to hire and and train, because this is not, it's not something that you can just pop out of a box and say, you know, answer suicide calls. Um, it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of uh, resources to get somebody ready to do that. Uh, we want to make sure that we can continue to utilize uh, those people. You mentioned hiring this year. How many people have you hired? Holy guacamole. We probably, we hire, we do new hiring classes every month. We get between, you know, eight to 15 every month. So I would say we've probably hired uh, around 90 people since the pandemic um, to provide a variety of different jobs here at the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. We're not just the 211 information and referral line. We're also the Communities Rape Crisis Center. Um, And so sexual assaults, when they happen in Hillsborough County, we actually provide that medical exam here at our location at Bears in Florida. We have trauma counselors, as I mentioned before, but we're also a 911 ambulance provider. We've been doing mobile COVID testing. That was something else we weren't doing when I talked with uh, Steve before. So we've partnered with the county to provide in-home COVID testing for individuals who can't drive maybe to Raymond James Stadium because they don't have a car or they're too sick. Uh, we also did some stand-up sites in underserved communities, Waimama, in Sun City. We're now in Riverview providing that testing. Um, So all of that takes uh, personnel. So we continue to hire to meet the demands that are that are are placed upon us. I'm curious about two of those things you mentioned. Uh, We can talk about the COVID testing in a little bit, but uh, the ambulance service, I wonder how that's faring, especially now that we're starting to see increases in hospitalizations and also uh, uh, the rape crisis services. What, what, What kind of numbers have you seen regarding sexual assault during these last few months? Yeah, so the last few months have been crazy. Um, we typically had, we would typically at a, at a quote unquote normal year average about a rape exam a day. I will tell you the month of September, we did 37 exams. October, we did 35. We did another 35 in November, but we were very light. Uh, in the number of exams we did from April um, until August. People were just, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, people were either not able to get here, people were afraid to come. Um, and uh, you know, for many folks, they just couldn't leave. They couldn't leave the situations that they were in. So we did see a dramatic decline in the number of sexual reported sexual assaults that came to us um, for help and support, but started to see the uptick in September. The, on the uh, ambulance transports, very similarly. I tell you, Bradley, I, I, 
I knew nothing about a pandemic. I'm a social worker by training. So I really thought we would see an uptick in the number of people that would be calling 911 to go to hospitals. I learned really quickly, folks don't want to go to a hospital during a pandemic. So we saw our numbers really drop. I mean, we went from transporting, you know, our average is about 70 people a day that we take to area hospitals for help and support in a 911 medical emergency. Those numbers dropped into the 50s and 60s uh, during the height of the pandemic. We're starting to see those numbers go up now. Unfortunately, because many folks have not gone to the doctor, they haven't gotten the care that they need, they are now in acute uh, medical situations and they don't have any choices now. They have to go into the emergency setting. So we certainly are seeing those numbers go up um, significantly um, over the past, I, really over the past uh, 10 weeks. What about the COVID testing? Because that's something that didn't even exist at the beginning of this year, right? That's a whole new technology that's had to be stood up on its own. Absolutely. And what is so um, amazing, I think, about Hillsborough County, about our community is how resilient our community is and how the nonprofits, the for-profits, we found opportunities to serve our community during this unprecedented time. And we were seeing, you know, in the when Catholic Charities stood up the homeless um, camp and they had hundreds of people in tents, I think all of us around the community recognized those individuals, we need to make sure that they're okay. We need to make sure that they're getting testing. And that was kind of the start. We weren't involved with that, but that was really kind of the aha moment of there's so many people in our community that need to be tested for COVID and they just don't, they don't have a car or they are too sick or whatever, or they don't drive, whatever it is, we need to be able to provide that service to them. We partnered with Hillsborough County, and to date, we've done over 11,000 COVID tests, uh, both in home as well as um, in those underserved areas. We actually had paramedics that went into the fields in um, Waimama and in Dover to provide that uh, COVID test to individuals who were in the field so that we could make sure that they were safe and protected. What about making sure that people in marginalized communities are, are, who may be going through a crisis are, are getting the services they need? I mean, I'm thinking of people of color. I'm thinking of uh, LGBTQ plus people. I'm thinking of disabled people. What, what have you been doing to, uh, um, to make sure that those people are included in, in your efforts? One of the things that I still continue to hear, and I've been at the crisis center for over five years now, is that I never knew you guys existed. And so it doesn't matter how often we put two on one cards, for instance, in the hands of every child in Hillsborough County Public School. You know, we partner with the county to put up signs in, in county places and, and to include that. There's still pockets of our community that we have not reached out to. And COVID hasn't made that any easier because outreach events and things like that just haven't happened normally. Uh, so my long-winded answer is that we have a lot of work still to do, uh, Bradley, to reach those underserved communities, and we are continuing to take advantage of opportunities to reach out via uh, print media, social media, uh, you know, live media, however we can. We do have a billboard campaign that runs periodically throughout the, the, the year, um, and we are have partnered with Hillsborough County government on a very special project, uh, particularly in some of the underserved communities around uh, child abuse prevention. 
But again, it comes back to resources. I mean, there's a reason why everybody knows what Coca-Cola is. They can market, they can do those types of promotional things that as a nonprofit organization, we just don't have the resources to do. So I, I feel like we have a long way to go to reach our entire community, as well as our marginalized um, community members as well. So um, that is something that we will continue to, to work towards to, to try to reach as many people as possible. Because again, crisis doesn't have a zip code, Crisis doesn't have a, an area code. Crisis can happen to every single one of us. And everyone in our community needs to know about the Crisis Center. And that 211 is just a phone call away. So lots of work still left to do. And as you said, you said crisis doesn't know a zip code. Hillsborough County is so large geographically. I mean, the needs of somebody in uh, in West Tampa might be different from somebody in, in Waimama or Riverview or the like, right? Absolutely. And we are working really closely. We, we've got a, a, a grant out to Florida Blue because we recognize that in the Waimama, Dover, um, Plant City community, we just don't have a presence. You know, again, I think about individuals who are sexually assaulted in those communities. To think that they're going to have to travel in some cases an hour to get here for an exam that may take up to six hours to then have to try to get back it's just not feasible so what are we doing we're partnering with the sheriff's department we are working with um, our local and state leaders to try to identify space and funding to be able to open a, uh, a site in that uh, east east south county area at least for sexual assault services um, you know, there's still so much work that we're going to need to do when it comes to resources. One of the things that I'm very proud of is that when somebody calls us, we ask them, can you tell us where, you know, generally, where do you live? And if they say West Tampa, we can identify those resources that are specific to West Tampa, because what we, one of the things we do know is that sometimes resources do depend upon where you live what your zip code is, uh, what your address is. And so we tailor the, the services that we offer based upon as much demographic information as you're comfortable giving me. So if you tell me you're in 33612 and you live close to the uh, University Area Community Development Center, I can tell you specifically what are the resources that they offer that will meet your need. It doesn't make sense for me to tell somebody in West Tampa about that because that is primarily designed for that community. So we really do try to tailor our data system is such that we can tailor uh, that level of information all the way down to census tracts and zip codes. So it, it appears now we're in a situation with the vaccines that we could be on the other side of this pandemic at some point in the coming year. Uh, there seems to be a, a medical scientific consensus that's building around that point. What do you think the services that you offer look like on the other side of this pandemic? Because as you said, people are gonna be, this is almost a generational trauma, right? People are gonna be living with the after effects yes. of what they went through in 2020 for a long time. Absolutely. So if, if you allow me to dream, Bradley, a little bit, you know, what I'm hopeful is that um, when, kids who have missed, you know, in many cases, maybe over a year of, of traditional education, who are now behind and struggling, for parents who may not be, have been employed, for individuals who find themselves homeless, for individuals who find themselves struggling with their behavioral health issues, that maybe now more than ever, those individuals feel comfortable asking for help. 
that they don't see it as a stigma, that they don't see it as a personal failing because they're struggling, that they're willing to reach out and ask for help. And so if, if there's a, a positive note to COVID-19, that is what I, as Clara Reynolds, you know, citizen of Hillsborough County, am, am so hopeful for, that we have as a community, as a state, and as a nation, have recognized that behavioral health is real, it's not imagined, it is not a human failing, it is as real as high blood pressure, it's as real as asthma, and that there is great treatment that's available and people are going to feel comfortable asking for help before they get to a crisis situation that results in something maybe longer term, maybe something more critical. So that's what I am hopeful for, that when we get to the other side and people feel physically healthy again, but they still don't feel quote unquote right, that they recognize that that their behavioral health has suffered and they're willing to reach out and ask for help and that the helpers, the behavioral health experts in our community have the flexibility to be able to provide that help in ways that look very different post 2020 than it did pre 2020. That was Clara Reynolds, CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. And that's our show for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters. Hope you'll join us again next week.